seminary supervisor is in the house today. <laughs> no, uh, no nerves at all. So glad to have you here, Jake. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <coughs> Blame him. The women, the women who had followed Jesus and cared for his needs throughout his public ministry had watched from a distance when Jesus breathed his last. They followed Joseph of Arimathea who had boldly asked Pilate for Jesus' body in order to lay him in a tomb. They watched as Jesus' body was taken down from the lynching tree, the cross, the tool of state-sponsored murder and intimidation of oppressed people. They followed and they watched, wanting to know, wanting to know where they could find Jesus' body and address the needs of his body after death just as they had taken care of him in his living. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome, at the earliest possible opportunity, prepare to anoint Jesus' body. No surprises here, just pragmatic maneuvers. No judgments expressed one way or another about the events leading to Jesus' death. No discussion about whether his death was justified or an example of grave injustice. Not even a mention of grief or anger. If we read behind the text that we heard this morning, maybe we can imagine the traumatic stress of the past few days of unmet hopes, the witnessing of horrible cruelty, shocking suffering, which rendered Jesus' friends, family, and followers unable to do anything else other than what they knew by habit or tradition. Even that isn't easy, to wake up and live whatever that means after experiencing some life-altering event, and yet here we have faithfulness and tradition, spices of pain, to anoint Jesus' body, some dialogue about they, how they might deal with the rockery issue. And then, oh then, if the past few days hadn't brought enough stress into their lives, this ship goes sideways. What? Holy uprising, open tomb, cryptic conversation, body snatched? Run. Eugene Peterson translates the women's response as they got out as fast as they could, beside themselves, their heads swimming, stunned. They said nothing to anyone. Other translations describe their response as trembling and terror, amazement, bewilderment, and fear, all leading to running away. Hmm. You feel for these folks 
And I feel for these folks. I really do. I feel for all the folks who wake up in the morning and are trying hard and trying to do the right thing only to have their day go sideways or upside down and then try to make sense of it all. We all have those days. Some of us carry those memories. Maybe it's fair to say that sideways pretty much describes today for some people here in this space. Maybe it describes what the last month or the years have felt like. How then, how then do we hear and receive the good news, the empty tomb, the invitation to not fear that there is hope to be found here in a tomb and the uprising of Jesus. Recently, I was at the Pastors and Leaders Conference at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, and I heard a number of seminary professors there preach to the fear and unsettled experience of these times, first suggesting that in the, really, in the grand scheme of human history, even though many of us are feeling it, these times are not any more dangerous or sad than can be, could be said of many, many other times in human history. And even if that were true, why, why are we experiencing so much fear, so much anxiety? Have we tethered our hope to church structures and political powers and courts and judges, that which have every possibility of letting us down? Might we consider tethering our hope to something deeper or wider or broader that might sustain us when the agents and the protectors and designers of the lynching tree fail our community? Hope that celebrates when church and society move with God's spirit towards justice and hope that remains when the opposite is experienced to be true? Hope that keeps alive a passion for the possible when we are surrounded by crucifixion. Hope that hears the word offered in a tomb offered to us in places of sorrow, shock, vulnerability, and anxiety. Do not be afraid. This is not the end. This is an uprising. In our work alongside people experiencing homelessness, we encounter folks who have had more than their fair share fair share of sideways days, sideways seasons, punctuated by failed political will and oppressive structures. People on the margins who are daily the best teachers of hope. Most of us can keep alive hope for a short while, but to sustain hope indefinitely amidst trying circumstances, that's definitely what I'm being taught on a daily basis. It is a hope which is honest about what is in front of us today, <laughs> while at the same time open on good days to the possibilities of what might come, however uncertain that empty tomb is. It is certainly what the risen Christ is trying to teach me through our community ministry. I'll share a little bit about some of those learnings with you. You have all read stories and about communities of folks who have been camping in abandoned and foreclosed properties around King County. A fair amount of, what, of that which happens in Lake City. 
folks at the drop-in center refer to them as trap houses, urban tombs on some level, communities of people desperate to escape the elements and public exposure of their suffering, but an overcrowded, unsanitary, sexually and physically abusive and violent collection. The stories that people tell of life in these trap houses sends my head spinning. But when you don't have a better, safer option, what do you do? A couple of these collectives popped up along 120th Street Northeast, first behind the Chevron, which when, when it was finally cleared out by police, 21 people and all their belongings were on the curb one day. Within days, scouts had found another empty home, this time right at the corner of 33rd and 120th Street, next door to where I live and a dozen or so other members of SMC. And so emerged noise and police drive-bys and garbage and street drug dealing and a shooting with a good friend from the drop-in going to the hospital and another friend to jail as a result. And I got all bent up and bent out of shape and conflicted about that house, knowing the violence inside, knowing that people didn't have better options while also feeding and supporting and befriending these folks through the drop-in whose behaviors were bringing huge amounts of stress and fear to other neighbors of mine. I tried to offer support and hope while not spending my days policing behaviors that neighbors found difficult. Thalia reminded me last night that we had instructed her that if she saw police cars in front of that house on her way to or from school, she was supposed to walk around the long way home to avoid violence that might spill out into the street. Hope, hope, hope. Seemed foggy at best. I didn't see much ending well, and I didn't sense good news being a possible outcome of that tomb. Then the matriarch of the collective <coughs> found out <coughs> she was pregnant with child, and her ship went sideways. And this isn't everyone's story, but the gift and responsibility of child was the hope that she grabbed onto. And the idea of more years of camp to camp, house to house, car to car, was replaced by a drive to raise her son in a safe environment. So she stayed for a while in the corner of a basement of a family member with her newborn, with her partner still living in a motorhome in the driveway, not allowed to come in. When dreams of an apartment of their own emerged, they came to Seattle, Mike, Seattle Mennonite for some funding and having a place of their own required an income and she decided to find work while her partner stayed home with the baby, eventually finding full-time work as a school bus driver. The licensing and permit process costs also supported by this church community. It wasn't easy and we weren't able to say yes to everything that had been asked of us by this uh, small emergent family Yet despite all of this positive progress, I still carried a worry in the back of my mind that it wouldn't last, that it was still gonna go sideways. Fear and anxiety still had me always anticipating the worst. So much so that when the family came by a few weeks back <coughs> to the drop-in and asked for a private conversation, in my head it was, oh, here comes the sideways. Get ready. Her voice quaking and nearly in tears, she expressed her gratitude for how much we had been a support and were help to them. Cue the suspicion that I'm being buttered up. 
He was aware that another friend from the street was on the cusp of getting into an apartment and being medically vulnerable. <coughs> we had been keeping him in a hotel until he recuperated enough and long enough and well enough to get his keys. But we had run out of funds and he still didn't have his keys. She couldn't bear to see him go backwards from the healing and progress that he had made and she had just gotten her tax refund and wondered if she could give me $400 for another week in the hotel. Money drop to help the next person move towards their hope. And this woman and her partner and child, they're poor. There could have been a hundred ways that they could have spent that money if they had it for things that they needed. But here we are teaching me about hope and where do we put our trust and faith. Do not fear. Christ has risen and he is no longer in this tomb. The trap house is empty. Since I'm on the topic of the trap house, the gentleman who I mentioned had been shot. Talk about things going sideways. Went away into a long-term medical rehabilitation facility and has since come back around Lake City to explore ways of being a helper and a healer. He has been in the thick of things and he entered the tomb through his own sideways journey, courtesy of gun violence. One of his healing gifts is music. Improvisational piano as good as any recording artist. And last weekend, I did a funeral for Gail Tresais, an 80-year-old resident of Lake City whom we had met years ago as a result of her attending a health fair in this sanctuary where she bumped into a nephew who was experiencing homelessness. Her nephew, Scotty, who had been lost to the Tresais family, even though he was on the streets of Lake City right under their noses. And so began those years ago, a long introduction for us to the Tresais family, Scotty's folks, and his siblings, which deepened around the death and memorial service of Scotty a few years back. And as we walked with them in their grief and loss, this family has since uh, been the sole providers of our 100 backpacks that we give out at Christmas, along with many, many other contributions. So when Gail, Auntie Gail, who was so proud to have been the one to find Scotty, passed away, there was no question the family wanted Seattle Mennonite to be a place for the service, which brings me back to the musician who had been a friend of Scotty coming to Gail's service here last weekend and playing the most beautiful rendition of How Great Thou Art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. gunshot victim in a trap house to the ministry of music. If I sat down <coughs> and allowed myself to dream the impossible, I could not even begin 
to touch the level of imagination <clears throat> that could conceive the web of connection that God has inspired in this neighborhood. Who would have thought that there would be good news that would come out of a trap house? For that matter, who would have thought that there would be good news to come out of a tomb? April Fool. <laughs> yes. We'll take that. Mm -hmm. The women in Mark, you know, they got out as fast as they could. They were beside themselves and their heads were swimming. They were stunned and trembling and terrorized and amazed and bewildered and fearful. This is all very honest responses to the shock and potential of an empty tomb, a risen Jesus. There's no roadmap through life that has taken and will take sudden turns for the better or worse. And we know that not everyone makes it through or out of struggle in this lifetime, at least not the way they hoped for. There was more unrealized hope in the trap house than restoration. That's real. But I am sensing that the women of Mark's gospel are not running away at all, but running toward the community and world, carrying an experience and message of uprising that they did not fully understand, didn't yet know how to describe or put into words but knew to be true, inspired, and hope-filled. That impossible hope that Jesus' burial was not an end, but a pathway towards a fresh invitation to keep alive a hope that is passionate about the possible. A hope that I am continually being reminded of in ministry with you all in this neighborhood, and a hope that I pray we can continue to claim for ourselves, that we can embody in life and grasp tightly on behalf of others who in the midst of all that is going sideways cannot hold on to that hope for themselves. And in so doing, welcoming God to make us into an Easter people in all the places we live and love and serve as a congregation. Amen?